electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast Checkout, shares of a United Airlines reporting earnings moments ago. The stock is soaring after hours. We'll bring you all the details. Plus, we are in the midst of the longest government shutdown ever, and Wall Street is starting to worry. But one top strategist says it's just a sideshow. He'll tell us how much higher he thinks the market is going from here. But first, we start off with the power of Netflix. This guy's favorite song. It's it's Pete's ringtone. The streaming giant flexing its pricing power with a $2 increase for most subscribers, pushing the price from $11 to $13 for standard users and investors are loving it. The stock is surging today, now up 50% from the December low. So how much pricing power does Netflix have? Are there other stocks out there that have a similar ability to hike prices on the consumer? That's my favorite song. It's your wedding song. You know, it's a very festive, very emotional it's an empowering song. song. Yeah, it's an empowering, it's an empowering song. song. Get to it, guy. Get to it, guy. Apparently, Netflix has quite a bit of. You know, companies where you don't feel it. Like I, I am a believe it or not, I am a Netflix subscriber. I have no idea how much, and and I don't think I'm atypical. I don't know how much I pay. I don't know where the bill goes to. I don't know how magic. No, it's magic. And I think you can increase prices. And all, most, I think, 80 percent of the people that have it have no clue. And that's simplistic, but I happen to believe it's true. We've been bullish Netflix into the earnings release. I believe they release on Thursday. I'm sort of skeptical, as a lot of people are, why they would announce this now ahead of earnings. Doesn't matter. But to answer your question, who else sort of fits in that category? I don't think Disney does, quite frankly, because you see the bill. But a company like Amazon, Mm -hmm. I think this absolutely empowers Amazon, not to necessarily act in kind, but in the back of their mind to say, hmm, Netflix has done it. We can do it to our Amazon Prime people as well. Well, content is worth this. Then maybe Amazon's content should be worth more. I don't know. I don't just know think what about it. To, to Guy's point, how much do you pay for Amazon Prime right now? There's a lot of people who have no idea what they're paying for that. Do you know? And, do you know? It's 100 bucks. I think it's, right? I think it's, I think it's 120 bucks now. Yeah, See? yeah. I don't know. So don't and, know and you get. <laughs> video, right. you get music, yeah. so you get a whole lot for Amazon, which makes everything look a lot more expensive, but I think Netflix, Amazon, right off the bat, pricing power. But is this real pricing power, or is this just the consumer's um, laziness to actually look at their bills and figure <laughs> out what they're paying for things? Well, so if you believe that, Amazon, that, that Netflix, first of all, is really what I think we're talking about first, has, has enormous competition, which I do, I do think that there's not a whole lot of pricing power. I, I can't argue that this is a company right now that certainly continues to probably deal from strength and that's why they're doing it right now um, I think if you look at Latin America where 40 you know 40 odd companies are you know outside the United States are actually going to be hit with higher prices I'm not sure that there's the same kind of insensitivity to higher prices so again part of the Netflix story really is a global expansion and that they're somewhat saturated in terms of US subs and I think you have to make some assumptions that um, at least I would that it's not going to be a straight line without competition you know what pays my Netflix T-Mobile 
And I bet you a lot of people have those deals now. I don't know how incremental or non-incremental that is, mm-hmm. but a lot of people get their Why Netflix. Plan your Netflix. It's a bumble. You get free a bundle. Netflix. With what am your I doing wrong, Pete? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's a bundle, and, and they actually Love absorb the incre- okay. increase as well. So there's a lot of things that they do when people bundle together, whether it's telephone or something else, where it's paid for, and, and that's a growing. And un- I don't know how saturated we are even yet necessarily in North America. And I think besides that, I think all you guys brought this up already, but the reason there's pricing power is people just probably aren't looking at their bill, whether it's Amazon or Netflix. I mean, they look at it and they say, you know what, 120 for the year, it's worth it to me. If they raise it by five or 10 bucks, still worth it to me kind of a thing. I think that's the attitude people have with Netflix right now as well, because they've got the content people are looking for. Yes, there's competition out there, but I think the fact that they continue to reinvest in themselves and they continue to expand. If you look at the last couple of North American numbers, they have beat the expectations fairly consistently, Netflix has. And I think Amazon sort of has that same sort of pricing power. Right let's, now. let's play Tim's argument out, though. I mean, let's say that subscriber growth in the U.S. is sort of saturated, that we're reaching almost full subscribership here in the United States. As long as you can continue raising prices on those same pool of subscribers, isn't that all that matters? That offsets, that offsets subscri- subscription growth, right? And you see, listen, last quarter was good. I remember Steve talking about the last quarter being a bellwether for the, for the earnings season. And in a lot of ways, he was right. I mean, the stock did really well for a day, reversed, the rest of the market followed. The last quarter for Netflix, I thought, was pretty good. I think this quarter is going to be equally good. I think you could see the same type of reaction. I think you're going to see a rollover. To answer your question, I think they can continue to sort of ratchet up prices. They made a mistake about six years ago-ish. I think they were too young. They were too uh, in, the, in the infancy stages of growth where the consumer didn't want the price raises. Now I think they've locked enough people in. They've had this tremendous lab, land grab where I think pricing they power is their own true. content. Right. Right. So that was That's the key. key they, people, people in droves went to Netflix. But when you look at it as a whole, I think it is indicative of wh- which way the market's going to roll. So I think it has tapped out, topped out at these levels. I think it is a sell. And I think it's the last gasp. You're talking about a lot the, of the stock rally. itself is a sell? I think Netflix is a sell. I think the overall market is a sell. Because you've got to remember, the reason why these things rallied is they were so beaten up in December. It was the value growth. Now you're going to see probably a retracement of that. Well, so for Netflix, also really ask yourself the question, is content becoming more expensive or is it getting, is it getting cheaper? It's getting cheaper. And I think is it, it? I think it is. It's I getting think, cheaper. Well, look look at all the things that I can now watch on TV for the same price. In other words, whether it's bundling or whatnot. Cheaper, for, cheaper, the for, cheaper for the consumer. Cheaper for the consumer. Yeah, right. yeah okay. Yeah. As so, opposed to the production of, of and, content. And, so right. Cool. No, and in fact, I think for Netflix, this is a big problem. The cash burn, they were supposed mm-hmm. to be cash flow positive last year. So my point is that I think there is a point at which there's, I've already argued, that I think there is sensitivity on price. Um, but you get to a place where a number of other people are going to be offering packages that I think are probably around that bark. And I, and I, think, it makes it, I think it makes a difference. Did anybody think it was strange to hear about a price increase just days before Netflix is due to report earnings? Yeah, we, we, and, we, we said mean, that. Oh, good, Pete. And what, no, I was just going to say, what a kind a of a read-through do we have out of that? Maybe I mean, it's like a little conspiracy theory of me. But it makes me think that Netflix wants you to say, hey, this is great. And subs then, are not there. And then on earnings, there's going to be some sort of a miss or an increase in spending, an increase in the amount of debt it has. Which is and I would look more certain, towards the certainty. spending side of it because we've seen that time and time again coming from them in terms of the spend, the reinvestment and the spend of what they're doing to try to get that content and that globalization, trying to get the international subscribers as well. This is a stock that I pitched here back in October. And the stock is virtually unchanged now through this huge run. But I'll tell you what, it's a great example of how do you navigate through the markets right now? I've been selling calls for the last three months in front of this stock. Mm. 
Now I've sucked in all of that premium against that. Stock's done virtually nothing. But you made money off And yet, it. when you look at what the return is, it's pretty incredible. So it's a great example of how you can use the derivatives market to protect yourself into something like this, where we were down almost 100 points and have come all the way back. Yeah. You know what we call that? We call that a synthetic dividend. You're something. darn tootin'. You create your own dividends, create. right? Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Two yeah. things. First of all, I, I actually think that this could mean that they have really good news to announce. I mean, oh, they're, they're going from a position on. of strength. Yeah, look, they, they could basically have some reinforcement of terms of their subscriber data or, in fact, their, their viewership, which, which allows them to feel like, you know what, let's push it out there. But, you know, I think pricing power is obviously something we started the, the, the segment with. Who else has got it? Um, and, you know, let's think about Apple. I mean, Apple is another one of these companies Does where it? we, well, I isn't, I, isn't there I, I think the phone this is, issue, this, though, this right? is the question. The high-end phones are not the ones that there's a lack of demand on. It's really the ones in the middle that I think, and the too many SKUs. But if you look at that XS, that was not an issue. In fact, the ASP, the, you know, started to go up over the last two quarters, and that mitigated the lack of demand on the lower stuff. See, I, I think they don't have pricing power, and I think that when you look back on the charts where AT&Ts and the T-Mobiles started when they weren't subsidizing them anymore, it kind of fell off a cliff. When you look at Apple, it, it, it retraced a lot of that move but it doesn't have the guy in the back pocket who's paying for the phone anymore, so they have to work that out on their own. It becomes leasing a car now when you're buying an Apple phone. Yeah. I'm just going to answer the, your, original, well, your second question. I think Reed Hastings has been at this too long to make what would be a pretty rookie mistake by announcing this price raise today, releasing a lousy number. on. Th- I just don't see them doing that at this, po- at this point in their history. So I'm sort of would be in Tim's camp, but I'm in Steve's camp as well, that this stock has gone from 234 to 350 in less than a month. I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous move. I think just to be smart, I think you have to be sort of taking some money off the I'm table. with Camper Guy, and i got to tell you something. The streaming camper, growth and Steve, Steve and uh, the whole camping group. Camp? I mean, we're camped together. But this whole streaming I thing, know. I think, you know what? When you look at camp Net- right Netflix, there still is the growth. And, and, and I, I say that in terms of when you look at the subscriber growth in North America and you look at it internationally and you start, see some record numbers out there, and then you start to tack on to some of the other areas where you're seeing growth in terms of streaming. I mean, that was up 36% last quarter. This is a company that's showing you growth. Now they got to get free cash flow, which they say won't come till about 2021. All right. Well, it's not just Netflix. All the FANG stocks fighting back today. Let's go off the charts. But Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com was breaking down the entire space. Hey, Todd. Hey, Melissa. Uh, let's take a look, obviously, at Netflix. And uh, that strong move that we saw from 230 may not have been uh, that surprising. It's beautiful uptrend channel support. So if you take a look at the move here, you could just connect the highs perfectly. Control C, Control V, that's copy paste. Pull that line down, and you can see we have perfect support right here. I think Carter Worth would agree that this chart is these lines, these parallel lines are worth their weight in gold. So uh, looks like if you kind of zoom in here, get off this weekly chart down to a daily, we have an old high of about $380. We need to overtake that. Um, and at that point, if this parallel channel continues, you have room until about 620 until you reach technical resistance. Long move from here, but that's just what the charts say. The other thing I would say is, you know, maybe that pricing increase. How many of you guys share logins in Netflix? I know you can share with four or five logins. <laughs> I know, I know. But Nobody does I mean, that. I, my whole family logs into my Netflix account. I mean, I wonder. Not anymore. Why. Yeah, I know, I know. 
hopefully Reed isn't listening. Anyways, Facebook. Uh, Facebook is another one that obviously has been beaten down, rightfully so. Huge sell-off here. We did a double bottom at this low here, and what you'll see is the rate of change, okay? If you throw a ball in the air, it's going to go up. It's, at one point, it's going to lose momentum, reverse course, and then to, 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 to start to head lower. That's the same concept with this uh, relative strength. We're losing downside momentum as we did a double bottom here at around that 120 level. It looks like the bad news is fully priced in. The, the trade is crowded. Anyone who wants to sell has already done that. Shorts are starting to come in, and usually those technicals will lead to fundamental improvement, whatever that story may be. So two fang names that look supported. It all hinges on the S&P here. And this chart, um, we technicians, we've been piling over. There's two huge levels right about the 20 26.80 level right here. We've got October. We've got December. That was the breakdown. That's where people are caught right there. As we're coming back, and I know Grass was watching this level, as we come back, it's like, can we get back to even money? Fine. Yours. Sold. So that 26.80 is a huge, huge level. 2700 as well. We have the 200-day at 27.40. There's about a 100-point zone that we have to break through on the upside to call the coast clear. And I think the market has a lot to prove to us up in that level. I will be selling into this level with stops above. Um, Todd, I'm just curious, if you're going to be selling into those levels on the S&P 500, would you be selling into certain levels on the two fang names that you like on strength? No, I'm just going to keep it simple because I know where, okay. as, as traders, those of you at home who are trading, I know where my levels are defined. Fang is in quite a nice recovery right here. I just like to keep it simple. And I find when we're trading, if you are trading the short side, it's easier just to go in the indexes, keep it simple, because when those fall, you know, it's just, it's just kind of keep, keeps it simpler. All right. Todd, thank you. Todd thank you. Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Grosso, what do you think of the levels? So uh, Netflix overshot. I think Netflix, is it's 350. The overshoot level is 377. You could play it against that level, but I'd be a seller right here. The S&P, it's 2715. That's the overshoot level there, but I think we fail prior to that level. All clear is 2816 above that level in the cash. So 50-day on the S&P is 26.31, and you know it almost can't be this easy. In other words, if you look at the S&P, it's failed there since really since mid-September, late September, certainly the October drawdown. Uh, I think the pain trade is actually to the upside. Um, what you'll see if you look at the S&P or you look at the spiders, um, short covering, if you look at the short interest, hasn't really changed that much. In other words, I think there's still more short covering to go. I think more people were calling this. you got to retrace the lows, and I'll just simply point this out. I, I think that's where the market wants to go or the street wants it to go. And in fact, the pain trade is probably north of that. What do you think of the thing recovery that we saw? Yeah, I think some of the names are absolutely oversold to the downside. I think Uh many of those names were. uh, But I think this move in Netflix has just been ridiculously fast. I mean, uh, do I like it? Because I want to stop. Yeah. But I think it's absolutely ridiculous where we came in this short a period of time this year, just this calendar year, the move's been extraordinary. But to think me, about so. where we came from. I mean, this is how Netflix rolls. Right. I mean, no, there's a, it is stock, a violent moving stock. And 2018 sure. was, was, you know, really running even counter to the, the trend, thing. even until almost the end of the year when it's it fell It's absurd, though, up 50% since Christmas. Yes. I mean, it's absurd. That's a pretty I, incredible yep. number. Coming up, check out shares of United Airlines surging after releasing earnings. We'll tell you what is shareholders so excited about this report right after the break, plus 24 days and counting. It is the longest government shutdown ever. And CEOs on Wall Street are sounding the alarm. We'll tell you what it could mean for the market. And later, 
Take a look at this mystery chart. This hot stock has doubled in the last year, and one trader says it's about to get even hotter. He'll explain. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. United Airlines soaring in after hours trading thanks to strong first quarter earnings guidance. Phil LeBeau is live in Atlanta's Hartsfield with more. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa. It's unusual to see a stock move this much after an earnings report, especially an airline stock. Look at these numbers from United. Three reasons why the stock is up almost 6%. First of all, 241 a share, way, way above the analyst expectation of 204 a share and 70% above what they earned in the fourth quarter of last year of $1.40 a share. Another reason, look at the numbers within the numbers. Passenger revenue per available seat miles, up 5% on the high end of their guidance. Most analysts were expecting it to be up 4 maybe 4.3%. When you look at their profit margin, they've grown it by 90 basis points, up to 7.8%. This is one more proof point that the company's strategy of those mid-sized routes, adding those to their hubs in the middle of the U.S., Chicago, Houston, and Denver, that strategy is paying off. And one more reason why the stock is moving higher, look at the guidance for the first quarter earnings. A dollar a share is United's guidance. The estimate coming into today was for 84 cents a share. All of this is what we're going to be talking with Oscar Munoz tomorrow morning about. He is our guest exclusively on Squawk Box. We'll be at United's headquarters talking with Oscar Munoz about what clearly are blowout numbers for the fourth quarter and some positive guidance for the first quarter. Melissa, back to you. You know, Phil, obviously, you know, you, you get United's report in the guidance. You've got to compare it to Delta and what we heard today. And the guidance in the first quarter is so different. Why do you think uh, there's such a differential in what they're guiding for the first quarter? It's almost like a tale of two different, uh, you know, well, industries, you, you, basically. You look at their, yes, and you, and you look at their strategy and also you look at where Delta is coming from. Delta was a little more aggressive in terms of its guidance going into the fourth quarter now they're going in the opposite direction in terms of being a little more conservative in the guidance that they're putting out there. It doesn't mean that they can't exceed their guidance of passenger revenue of flat to up 2%. They may very well exceed that in the first quarter, but they are not going to get caught doing the same thing they did in the fourth quarter of saying, yeah, we're going to be up 3 to 5%. Well, maybe we're going to be up 4.5%. Well, now we're going to be up 3%. That really hit the stock. And then when you look at United, remember, this strategy of adding more flights to these mid-sized cities, those are high-yield routes, Melissa. United was underserved in those markets. That's starting to pay off. All right, Phil, thank you. 
Philippeau from Atlanta for you us. Uh, Guy Dami, where do you trade the Well, Delta is where I'd go. And we talked about it, I think, last week in terms of $45 in Delta being a level that it basically bottomed out in, I think, August of 2017 or so. Traded against 45. That's proven to be right. The stock also went from 63 to 45 in about a month and a half. So clearly these names have just been overdone to the downside. And we've talked about that for a while. In valuation, I still think Delta works. Maybe United, you get a little more bang for your buck at this point. But I think Delta can grind higher. The guidance for Delta, by the way, they got it full year $10 to $12. I mean, you could drive a semi-truck through that guidance. But with that said, a lot of people have to probably pay catch-up in the airlines, and I think Delta's the place to do it. You know, I, I tend to be with you in terms of which one do I go to now. Like it probably Delta. be Delta. But, you know, some of the guidance they gave, I know what Phil just said about, hey, we don't want to overdo it. But at the same time, boy, it was terrible. I mean, it's terrible relative to what everybody was expecting. They were looking for 94 cents, or yeah. they got 70 to 90. And it, it just, it seems to me like United's clicking. Tim, you've been on this story for a long time. United's clicking, and they're doing the right thing, going to the right cities, it sounds like, where they're getting better margins. And no Delta's issue with the government shutdown in United. Right. Well, we don't know that yet. Delta, we don't know that yet. Or less, we don't know maybe. that yet. So the, so the top one was American Airlines. They have a 25% yeah, market both. share in Reagan National. And then it's Southwest is a 15%. Delta's 10%. But yeah. JetBlue? doesn't even show up on the radar right. there. Spirit Airlines doesn't even show up on the radar there. Look, if you get beat up because of, of the government shutdown and airlines, you're yeah. buying that. I mean, that, that to me is absolutely one-off. It's not like other businesses that won't see that, that revenue coming back. Look, bottom line is it's all about valuations for the airlines. If you think that Delta at 10 times takes you to, you know, basically it's a $62 stock, um, that's if we're not in a recession. And otherwise, these airlines are still, this is what happens. They get priced as if the economy's in recession. They're kind of like the banks on this. Uh, and I think also the, how low the bar was going in into these earnings. That's why, look, United's down 5% on the year. It's underperformed the S&P by about you know, 800 basis points. So it um, doesn't surprise me to see there. I think sentiment's still negative on airlines, though. For more on the airlines, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on the show. The government shut down. The shutdown. The shutdown. Shutdown government. Wall Street is starting to raise red flags as the government stretches past its 24th day of the shutdown. And it feels like there's no end in sight. Is the DC chaos about to creep into the market? We've got those details. Plus, fast food stocks are sizzling. And there's one name that's doubled in the past year that the traders think is about to catch fire. We will explain. There's much more Fast Money after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a news alert on Snap. The stock is uh, shooting higher after hours before turning lower. It's now down 2.5%. Let's get to Julia Borson in L.A. with the details. Julia. Melissa, Snap just filing in 8K with the SEC in which it revealed two important pieces of information. One is that Tim Stone, the company's chief financial officer, 
um, and principal financial officer, notified the company of his intention to resign and pursue other opportunities. This is notable because he was a big hire and he just joined the company in May. So a, a big blow to lose him. His background was at Amazon. Secondarily, the company also saying that it is um, providing some guidance for its fourth quarter and full year 2018 financial results, saying we're finalizing our fourth quarter results and expect to report revenue and adjusted earnings results that are slightly favorable to the top end of our previously reported quarterly guidance ranges for each. So the company's reporting earnings on February 5th, and this news uh, comes ahead of that. Melissa? Slightly favorable. Okay, Julia, way to quantify Slightly favorable, <laughs> and they provided yeah. guidance. So this is yeah. at the, um, indicating at the higher end of that range. Sure. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Um, first of all, it's never a good thing to hear that a CFO of all uh, C-suite positions is resigning, let alone so short, such a short time after he joined the company. Yeah, right, I what think, do you make of this? Well, I think in the case of Snap, look, they've had a retention issue with their, their, you know, their core audience. I think they've actually had a lot of turnover in the C-suite. I think this is the issue. Uh, people don't really know in a world where there's a lot of competition whether these guys have the ability to grow. And in fact, and they're still burning cash. So, you know, to me, this is a stock that continues to be a no-touch. And, you know, I, I don't know that this has to be a burning fire out of control, but there's, there was enough there. Stock's already down 6%. It was down like minutes ago, 7.5%. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. I was quick, quick going to say this. I think the reason why Snap isn't lower than $5 is Facebook's had so many issues over the last few months. I think when Facebook gets itself on solid footing again and can then re-energize itself to go after Snap and obliterate them, I think Snap will be a lot lower. I think Facebook woes are probably why Snap still has a pulse. And plus, the short interest is still 25%. I'm still actually still long Snap. I'm waiting for the miracle. Oh, it's are. always darkest before dawn. Really? It's pretty damn Seems dark. Like it's getting so darker. Let me ask you, I'm curious about this. But, but, why, why, what makes re- you want to be long it, though? What, what so, so for me, it was, a, it was always a flyer. For me, I thought they were going to get taken out. For me, I thought it was going to be so much more than it ever has wound up being. Yeah. So I've lost faith in it, but I'm so, still long it. But if you've lost faith in it, why don't you just cut, cut your losses and hey, say I'm, goodbye and put your money someplace else yeah, where you can actually make I, money? I wind, I wind up letting winners roll, letting losers roll, and I usually take the winners and spin it out and buy a, a, a flyer because I want some leverage. This was a really expensive option call for me, and it wound up getting cut in half. Yeah, Mel, so. if that were the case, you would have jettisoned me like eight years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, okay. maybe nine. with it. But switching gears here, it is day 24 and counting of the government shutdown and Wall Street is starting to raise warning flags. Here's what Delta Airlines CEO had to say earlier today. We're not taking sides on the, on the debate, but we, we need to get the business moving again. One of the other issues to us is that we're seeing a reduction in revenues in the month of January. Not huge, but about $25 million due to the fact that government uh, contractors and some government officials are not traveling the way they, uh, they would anticipate because of the shutdown. Also, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon warning of the economic ramifications on the company's media call this morning, saying we need good government policy to help the economy and the shutdown is not going to help the economy. Someone estimated that if it goes on for the whole quarter, it can reduce growth to zero. So we haven't seen much of a direct impact yet, but will the shutdown eventually reignite stock market selling? Uh, at this point, Grasso, in the cycle. So I, I think the shutdown is a tradable event. I think that all these, granted, this is the longest one in the history of our country, but ultimately it's going to be a buyable event once, you, once it really gets cleared up. I know that there looks darker and darker like Snap, but I would, I would eventually. Wow, that's quite I hope it's a parallel. I, ho- I hope I it's not. we're not in the same situation. It feels like snap. It feels like people. But you know what's really funny is that I, I thought J.P. Morgan was the one. Was he being facetious there? I thought J. 
J.P. Morgan was the one who came out with that report that's, that said that it was going to shave off of GDP. So I, I don't think it's going to be as dire as people think it is. All right. Our next guest says the government shutdown is just a sideshow. We won't really derail this rally. Let's welcome back Joe Zidal, who was just named Blackstone's chief investment strategist just yesterday, right? That's right. Congratulations, Joe. Congratulations. Chief well investment strategist. We had no idea. Okay. So... What's fascinating to me is that there's so many economists. Oh, you're wearing matching ties. That's yeah, cute. We're brothers. Very nice tie. We're brothers from <laughs> um, another mother. Yeah, brother so many economists mother venture out and say, oh, it's going to have this impact, 0.1% on GDP for every week that goes by or whatever it is. Those same economists came out and had were so uh, so precise in terms of the impact of the tariffs on the U.S. economy, which turned out to be not quite right in that they looked at it in a very narrow way. They didn't also calculate the sort of the ripple effects, the impacts on sentiment, the impacts on business spending, the impacts on consumer spending and sentiment. Mm -hmm. So how do you view this shutdown? Well, the first thing I'd say is you don't want to we don't want to make light of the impact that this is going to have on any one individual because there are 800,000 people who are, you know, going without pay right now. Um, So from an individual perspective, you know, I I don't want to discount that whatsoever. But to put it into the broader perspective, the workforce in the United States is 161 million people. So we're talking about half a percent, 50 basis points of the workforce that's being impacted here, but they can file for unemployment claims and other things. So I don't see any real lasting effect here because people are going to get paid and they're going to be made whole, which is a completely different issue than what we're seeing you know, in something like the trade war, where you do have to consider those second and third order effects. Because what's going to happen is when the government shutdown is over, people are going to be made whole on their paychecks. So if we do see a drop to first quarter growth, or if we see some sort of hit to corporate profits, I think the second quarter, we're going to see all that coming back and more. So, for instance, if if somebody's not going to spend on a vacation or not going to spend on a meal or sweater in the first quarter, they're just going to do the same thing in the second quarter? Yep, maybe they end up postponing a lot of those purchases or things like that. But, you know, these are also the worst case scenarios, which it's fine to project that out because we don't know and uncertainty is going to be the enemy of growth here. But that's assuming that this shutdown does not end. And I think there's a lot of things that could bring it to a conclusion. And one of them is pain points. And the moment we start seeing those pain points at TSA, uh, you know, check lines and other areas, I think it's going to put uh, incent both sides to figure out some sort of solution. We, we may be getting to that point. Um, Joe, you think there's a rally on our hands. Um, so how high do you think we'll go in the markets and what could derail it? I mean, if there was the one thing that you as the chief investment strategist of BlackRock <laughs> could point Blackstone. to and Blackstone, excuse yeah, me, thanks. point to and say, hey, you know, this is what could derail it. What would it be? Well, it is um, it is first and foremost the trade war. And I think we need to get that wrapped up in order to have any type of meaningful rally in the stock market. Now, I'm bullish. I think that the market is going to be up 15 percent in 2019. That was in our 10 surprises that we put on on January 3rd. But even a 15 percent rally from the end of the year only gets us to about 28.75 on the S&P 500, which is still below the September 20th peak. So, you know, we do look for uh, uh, we are bulls. We think the market's going to head higher. But the trade war is the one thing that's still holding us back here. And I think it's an area of concern that's got to get resolved. And our view is it does get resolved sometime, you know, in the first or second quarter. Brexit, those other things, again, I think it contributes to, um, you know, policy uncertainty. But if there's a silver lining to the, the policy uncertainties, it probably keeps central banks more dovish. And that was a conversation you and I were having offline a little bit earlier. If you look at the global economic policy uncertainty index, it's at an all-time high right now. Oh, really? So what does that mean? It means central banks around the world 
might simply just be more dovish and more tolerant of some of these inflationary pressures and tight labor markets that we're seeing. Which is good for your odds of a 15% return. Sorry? Which is good for, for your odds of a 15% return in 2019. Joe, great to have you with us. Congratulations once again on your new title. Very Thank impressive. You. Joe's Idol. JZ. So, See, if I would work with Joe, I'd call him JZ every day, right? I mean, that's what I would do because that's the way I roll. Would. So 2,900, I mean, <laughs> I, I can do math because I have my little, I have my application on my iPhone. Mm. And to get to that number, 17 and a half multiple, earnings have to be, S&P 500 earnings have to be about $165. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. It seems like a stretch to get there. Now, you can maybe argue that the multiple should be higher, but I don't know why in this environment the multiple should. So it's aggressive. I'm not saying he's wrong, but I just it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. I think the key really is also the negative feedback loop that's been, at least for the short term, been broken by the Fed stance. And we've had reaffirmation today. In fact, Esther George, who's somebody else that you could have heard be very, very hawkish, seemed to take a step back and just add some consistency to the Fed tone here. So um, while I, I do think S&P earnings are going to be under some pressure, at least relative to the 7% growth that's targeted, uh, you know, to me, it does feel like the market is still trying to short cover. It does still feel like the pain trade is actually higher for the S&P, even though I don't think it needs to be a straight line here. And I, and I think we're at some key resistance. I think the idea of the resolution in terms of trade war, that mm-hmm. is huge, obviously. And the resolution in terms of the government shutdown. I mean, those that combination itself, and last night we talked about it, I think 20% was way too aggressive in terms of the analyst last night that was sitting next to me. 10 or 15% makes a lot more sense to me, though, right now. When I look at 15%, that doesn't seem like an extraordinary number if we can get these things resolved quicker, though. It needs to happen very soon. All right. Still ahead, Tilray shares up in smoke, down 17% for its worst day in months. Why are investors passing on Tilray? We will explain. Plus, fast food stocks on fire. We'll tell you which name. One trader here on the desk says is about to see a bigger breakout. Much more Fast Money right after this. Back to Fast Money, shares of Tilray getting slammed down 17% today as the stock's lockup period from its July IPO expired. The stock plummeted after hitting a high of 300 bucks in September. It is down a whopping 70% since then. So what happened to the stock? And remember, just last week, I think it was Friday, the stock was up 20% on this letter that Privateer wouldn't be selling its holdings. Uh, at least in the first half of the year. Well, and Privateer is certainly the big gorilla on this one. Excuse me. Uh, my pen cap just flew off my pen. Oh. I don't know why. Um, but look, <laughs> if you look at a lot of the, the big LPs, the Canadian names that, that IPO'd last year or even over the last couple of years, um, it's all really about cap structure. And certainly lockups are things you need to continue to follow. It's a corporate governance story. It's certainly a technical story. Um, if you look at the entire cannabis sector on a market cap weighted basis, what's very interesting is that as of Jan uh, 14th, 15th, 2019. It's actually down 15% from where we were one year ago, despite the legislation, despite all these strategic deals. I mean, Tilray, to their credit, I mean, they're now cons- cutting consumer and wellness deals along with the pharma deals, along with the deals that, that look to be strategic in terms of the alcohol sector. So, I mean, the company is doing the right things. The valuation has never been easy to explain. And, and the shares supply or the short squeeze that's out there is what's driving shares right now. And, and this group is going to be volatile by its nature. So I'm still long Corona. So I'm still long canopy. I'm not long Tilray. But a lot of these stocks still have to fight to get back to their October highs. I'm still in them. I believe that the future is going to be extremely bright for all of them. So I think you've got to own a little bit of all of them to stay in the game. All right. Well, if you've got the munchies after mm. this last segment, you're in luck <laughs> nice. because we are moving right into fast food fever. That is tremendous. Earlier that today is- on Power Lunch, we spoke to the CEO of Domino's Pizza about the strength of the consumer from the ICR conference in Orlando. 
But what we see here in the U.S., Kate, is still a really strong consumer. You know, unemployment is still very low. You know, we've had good wage growth, uh, you know, across the U.S. economy over the course of the last couple of years. And we haven't seen any slowdown in, uh, in consumers' uh, interest in ordering pizza and ordering it from Domino's. And Chipotle CEO Brian Nickel was also at the conference. Shares of that stock have doubled in the past year, and he reassured investors that consumer demand was still healthy. Our store count is, you know, just shy of 2,500. We're far from reaching a point where you would say uh, we shouldn't be building any more Chipotle's. If anything, the number one concern from consumers is give me more convenience, give me more access. So as we continue to open new restaurants, our economics are uh, best in class. And, of course, this happened last night. President Trump welcomed the Clemson Tigers football team <laughs> to the White House after their college football championship sure. win with a banquet of burgers, pizza, French fries from some of the biggest fast food companies. Quite a spread. So is the fast food fever catching on? We thought we'd play a little game of hot or not. Ooh. Yeah. Hot. Hot or Sounds not. I think it's fairly self-explanatory. So, Guy, we'll start with you. <laughs> hot or not on Chipotle. Hot or not? So if you're hot, you oh, like it. If you're not, come on, you're not. really, really, are we doing <laughs> I this? Call, like you know, yeah. uh, whatever. Yeah. Really, virgin or okay? I would say not. Okay. Now a lot of people say it's not. It's a recovery story. Well, it has recovered. I mean, the stock is absolutely recovered. It's a four hundred dollar stock a week and a half, two weeks ago. It's trading five fifteen now. The the all time or the fifty two week high back in August of last year was 5.30. Maybe we touch that. They report in February. I mean, they're one bad piece of lettuce probably from going down another $100. And, you know, valuation <laughs> is a, a bit... No, it's... I mean, who am I... It's true. You've got to put them out there. True. I mean, when you're not, natural, not when you're in a natural play. I mean, it's... New CEO, this new guy's CEO's doing an outstanding job. Yeah. Came from Taco Bell. Valuation. Valuation. Yeah. Well, are you saying you're hot? No, I'm Chipotle? actually oh, not. Oh, you're not. not. <laughs> valuation. Here's the issue with Chipotle. Uh, to push back, I would just say simply, valuation has never been the issue for this company. It's certainly been that bad piece of lettuce you're referring to, but the company's always traded at a premium because it's been perceived, and, and oh, for now it seems like they've earned back the trust, at least, of that organic and wellness group or you know, the folks that want a healthier you're hot on piece it. of lettuce. You're oh, you're hot. hot. I, I'd, I'd rather. Really? I'd rather not, I'd rather be not I'm on hot. this one, and, I, and it always scares me because yeah. I have a family of six, and you know sometimes you go for fast food. My kids are just as neurotic as I am about really? that bad piece of lettuce that guy is looking for. So I'm probably not. And going it's a to little spendier too, right? Into I mean, a Chipotle. What? If you go to fast food, that's a little spendier right there. It's a little spendier, but the truth but you is, you feel better I'm about eating, you know, organic fast food that is going to be equally. No, I think, so, so that's a fair I, point. So I think my fast food revolves around pizza versus around burgers and things where right. it's less of a less of a risk yeah plus right. okay. look at the valve at the let's end of the day let's move on let's move on domino's <laughs> bad segue domino's tim are you hot or not I tell you what, I'm not hot, um, oh. and I'm not hot on Domino's simply because I think the international story, which was once the exciting part of this, and it earned them a major premium multiple to the peer group, I think has slowed down a little bit. I think the change in management is absolutely fine. I think it's almost seamless, um, but I think uh, based upon where we are right now with labor costs and some headwinds, I, you know, I don't love this valuation. I don't need to own it right now, so I am I'm not hot. They've been uh, investing in digital for a long time, which has really brought, brought their costs down. So they were the original app, app developer when it came into the pizza yeah. or when it came into fast food ordering. Uh, I was a big fan of Patrick Doyle. He's no longer there. The stock has rolled over right after Patrick left, regained those highs. But I think Tim brings up the most important thing, labor costs. All of these companies have a headwind. 
I would be a seller of all of them, not to give it away, not on this one, Tim. I, see, I t- uh, first of all, I work there, as you know. I feel like you're going to be hot. Oh, I'm, go- I'm hot right. with you. I'm going to be hot. I'm hot with you. you haven't seen the yeah. bounce in this stock. You've it's a sizzle there. It's it, 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 consolidation. Yeah, I mean, 26 times is not ridiculous valuation. And I think there's a chance in the earnings, I believe, in mid-February, where this gives you a little bit of rally into that earnings. You have a month or so until then. I think it goes higher from here. So I'm hot. McDonald's. Oh. Pete, hot or not? Absolutely hot. Red hot. I absolutely wow. love what's going on with McDonald's. Easterbrook is the man. He's completely changed this company. And everybody, we, we talked about it technology-wise, right, for a long time. That's mobile, that's kiosks, that's changing the menu around. He's done all of those things, and they've changed the quality of the beef that they're using. There's a lot of great things, I think, going on. And, there, by the way, the remodel of the 14,000 stores or whatever the number is is unbelievable and how fast they're able to accomplish that. So for those reasons... I am absolutely hot on McDonald's. You still in it? I remain hot. Uh, nice. I, there's, there's very remain little that's going to take me out of this trade because I think, does. I, I think the company, in terms of their intrinsic value of that brand, their global positioning, that footprint, and some of the asset values there means I think this is very undervalued stock, even though the multiple is little, not cheap. Yeah. May I ask a quick question? I know we have to go to break, but okay. the White House, you've got to get You're through how many security stations. Think about this. We bring food in here. It gets cold like lickety split. In the White House, those Big Macs, they must have been like frosty cold. And those, those friends fries. How do you know they're Big Macs? Because he said they were Big Macs. No, I I believe that they were Whopper. I saw pictures of Whopper. Whopper. Well, they had Big Macs. They had Wendy's. They had Wendy's. Bipartisan. Bipartisan fast food. Had to be cold is my point. Maybe they nuked it. No, Anyway. No nuke. Starbucks. Hot or not, Grasso? Uh, Starbucks, a big part of their story was China growth. If China growth is slowing, then you've got to translate that to Starbucks slowing. Although technically, the stock looks a little appealing to me, but the China growth for me, I'm still a little bit worried about. So that overcompensates for whatever I'm seeing in technicals as far as our positive setup. I would be a not. By the way, these guys belong in that companies with pricing power. For, I'm, I'm hot, oh, to be boy. clear. But I mean, Starbucks does whatever they want with prices, and they get away with it. Same store sales continue to go higher. Trump provided Clemson players and staff with a buffet that include Wendy's, Burger King, and McDonald's. McDonald's. Mm, nice Bipartisan. Job, yeah. Coming up, GE shares oh, slipping today after the analysts mm. that called its recent rally said, buyer beware into earnings. We will explain. Plus, it's a high-stakes bet on the market that could make one trader nearly $200 million Good in luck, the next Pete. two years. But there's just one catch. Find out what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. J.P. Morgan sounding the alarm on General Electric today, and here's why the street is paying attention. This note is from Stephen Tusa, one of the first analysts with a sell writing on the stock two years ago. He did upgrade the stock last month to a neutral, but is now issuing a warning ahead of the earnings report, calling the stock's 30% move off its lows, nothing more than a head fake. So should investors heed Tusa's warning, stay away from GE? Tusa has gotten it right for so long. He's been right. It's had a nice little bounce. It was that short covering for a lot of the guys who were really Mm -hmm. absolutely attacking this stock. I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you today, I was out of puts that I'd owned for a long period of time. Today, I bought back in again because I think Tusa's right. And he talks about, is there a silver bullet? Is there something out there that actually can save them right now? A lot of analysts are saying yes. He's still saying no. He doesn't quite think that the numbers are there that add up to make this right. So for that reason, I think it does fall back, and I think we should see some numbers that 
might not be as impressive as everybody's starting to yeah. think they might be. Tim? Yeah, I, I think the power business is, is obviously the business that we need to get a better handle on, and it's hard to see why this turns around overnight. Nothing's going to turn around overnight. No. The only issue is, are we going to get an equity recap, and what's that amount going to be? And I think, actually, the stock would probably rally on that if it was a reasonable number. If that thing is $10, 10 billion and south, I think it would actually be great news. Is this for the Larry company. Culp's first quarter? Officially, yeah. As CEO. Officially. The, the, what do you think you have to decide do whether was it peak pessimism. And, and Tusa had an amazing oh. call, but he still has, what's his price target on it? Six dollars. Yeah. Right? So, but he said six to nine was the range he felt like. He, he, I, I believe, he had such a tremendous call that now with it rallying so hard off that low, you kind of want to cash it in. He doesn't want to get too cute on this. So he comes out and says this. You cannot argue with him for saying this. I'm still along the stock because I do think we have reached that peak pessimism point in the market. All right, still ahead, one trader made a massive bet on the markets this week that could pay out a cool $200 million. We've got the details. Plus, let's get a check on the Kramer cam. There's Jim talking about the one Fang stock he says is cheap right now. Find out what it is at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. A mega bet on the S&P 500 is making waves in the options market, and it stands to net one trader a cool $176 million. There's only one way to lose. The S&P has to do something that it has only done four times in history. Mike Coe is the action in San Francisco. Mike, tell us about this trade. Yeah, so this was quite a substantial trade. Yesterday we saw a sale of 19,000 December 2020, 2100 strike puts for about $93. So someone is selling insurance on the S&P against a decline from its current level of about 2,600 below that 2,100 strike price, which would represent a decline of approximately 20%. Now, bear in mind, we have seen declines of 20%, but think about how far out in time this trade goes. It's about two years. And so if you take a look back to the 1920s, there have really been only four periods where selling puts of that length of time representing a decline of that amount have really been a dangerous thing to do. One of those, of course, was the Great Depression. Up to and into the Great Depression, we saw significant declines in the S&P. The second was the bear market of the 1970s. In the late 60s or early 1970s, had you sold these puts, that would have been a problem. And the final, and the final two times were actually much more recent. The dot-com wreck, the tech wreck of the late 90s, 2000, that would have been a bad time to do this trade, and the credit crisis. Essentially, any other time, you would have been able to keep the money, $176 million, but you're insuring about $5 billion, so it's wow. an awfully big trade. The timing, though, is interesting in that it takes you to the end of 2020, right? And 2020 is when forecasters, for what they're worth, are forecasting that there could be odds of a recession. So this could capture some sort of a decline in the face of a recession if those prognostications come true. Right, Mike? Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, that's certainly an, an issue. Although we have, of course, pulled back a little bit from the peaks that we've seen. You know, it's interesting because Warren Buffett initiated trades like this after the credit crisis. Those were very good trades because, of course, the market had already pulled back a lot and the premiums were extremely elevated. Mm. In this case, we've seen a much milder decline and the premiums are not as elevated. So someone's willing to take a decent bit of risk. It takes about $600 million of capital to put up a trade like this. Wow. 
Pete. That, and was, Mike that wasn't up, you. And no, it wasn't me. <laughs> and, and we don't know for sure if it's Warren Buffett or not, but Mike brings up a very good point. And this is something that Warren Buffett has done in the past. And he's done that in stocks that he likes and the indexes as well. So it would make sense that somebody of that magnitude would be somebody willing to take the risk to put this on, especially out to 2020. Yeah, fascinating trade. Mike, thank you. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Final trade, Pete. You know, we were talking fast food earlier. McDonald's. This thing's going to 210 and not too distant future. Tim. The easiest fang name to defend on valuation and the underperformance year to date is Google. Get there. Grasso. Now, I love the stock, but you got to take profits. Netflix, sell it. Nice. You see the craziest things here at the Nasdaq? There was a guy just now with the, one of those big plows, shovels, show, snow plow shovels, plowing like the, the foyer out there. It's the craziest thing. What are you thing. talking about? I There's just no saw it here. Here. Didn't you hear How that? Can you, what are you plowing inside? That was pretty creepy. Silence. You want to see? Look, listen. Oh, my gosh, you're right. Of course I'm right. I don't make this Anyways, up. Anyway, Xilinx. Xilinx. All right, that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. <laughs> Thanks for watching Mad Money. Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.